Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 344 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, we've shaken things up a bit. As some listeners may know, I embarked on a 35-day hike on the Colorado Trail earlier this summer with my camera in tow. Upon my return, I had so many amazing questions from friends, family, and podcast listeners that we decided to do a podcast all about my adventure. I partnered with former guest Bree Stockwell, who graciously agreed to play host this week. She collected all of the questions from listeners and compiled them into a massive list. This week, we answer all of your burning questions about my experience hiking the Colorado Trail. Over and over again, people had questions about gear for my trip, so I decided to create a huge article all about my gear recommendations, which we will link to in the show notes. I hope you enjoy the chat, and thank you for all of your incredible questions. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with, well, Bree Stockwell and me. Hey, Matt. Welcome to your podcast. (laughs) Thanks, Bree. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) It's always uh, fun being on this side of the uh, microphone. Is it, though? You look slightly uncomfortable. (laughs) Knowing that we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. Yeah, and then you told me there's like a bunch of secret questions that I don't know about. So There are a few secret questions, yes. Okay, so a little introduction, everyone. So first, personally, Matt, I'm so crazy impressed by all like so many things that you've accomplished. I remember um, years ago when I first heard of your podcast, I'm like, he's hiked a hundred of the highest peaks in Colorado. You've done a book. I, you've done all kinds of stuff. You've never even missed a week of this podcast, which I think is completely incredible. So yeah, I um, must, I must, uh, I must be a masochist, I guess. Yes, I totally. <laughs> yeah, but no, also that, you're... <laughs> I, no, I appreciate it. It's, um, it's funny. That's actually one of the things people are always like, how do you do so much stuff? I'm like, how do you not? Like, I'm just always busy. I'm, that's just my personality. I'm constantly going. <laughs> yes. Even now you're like, do I have to, st- how long do I have to stand here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, this is fun. This is for me. This, this is, is fun. This, yeah, it's fun. And so just by way of introduction. So today, so Matt did, uh, well, we'll let him talk about it, but Matt did a 35 day hike through the Colorado trail and he had a lot of questions that people kept asking and he thought, why not just do a podcast on it and I can have someone ask me the questions. And so, uh, here I am. <laughs> to yeah, here Bree you Stockwell are. To do it. Bree, That's yeah, right. Yeah. Bree Stockwell, which, uh, you've got your own podcast now too. So I'm like, Hey, why not have someone else who also knows how to do podcasts do the uh, interviewing? That's right. We even found we have matching microphone setups, which is really fun. It is fun. I think you copied <laughs> me. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I also wanted to say, Matt, your audience is pretty amazing because when you when like um i think i asked for uh, questions and you asked for questions in multiple places and people have really taken some time to ask some pretty interesting questions and i'm really impressed so this is going to be 
really awesome. By the way, just for so everyone knows, Matt, I think you barely peeked, like you got them when they were coming in, but he really hasn't looked at any of these. So all of the answers are just going to be like off the cuff, what comes to him. So I'm excited by this. Yeah, it's um, you get a glimpse into uh, how badly I am on this side of the microphone. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be the same. So should we get into it? Why don't you start, Matt, by giving us a little bit of an overview, like what made you want to do this? And yeah. um, and then if you tell us any, I'll try and what I'll try and do is if you answer any questions, I'll just skip over those. So we don't we don't okay. have doubles. So sure. For it. So I live in Colorado and I am pretty obsessed with the state of Colorado. I've lived here almost my entire life. I'm a fifth, fifth generation native of Colorado. And I just love it here. I think it's probably, in my opinion, the most amazing place in North America. I know Eric Bennett will tell you it's Utah. I think Utah's pretty awesome too, but you know, I have a lot of love for Colorado. So Colorado Trail is a 491 mile hike that starts in Denver and ends in Durango, where I live. So I was like, wouldn't that be cool to hike all the way home from Denver to my house across all of the mountains in between? And so I've always wanted to do the Colorado Trail, and I, and I specifically chose not to do it in sections. I wanted to do it in one long just journey because I felt like it could be a very transformative experience. Um, and of course, as a photographer, it's just an amazing opportunity to visit lots and lots of locations that I might not otherwise seek out um, without going on the, the trail specifically. So I've, I looked at it as kind of like a physical challenge, a mental challenge, and a photography challenge. Um, as a lot of listeners have probably heard, um, I've got this amazing opportunity this year where I was able to finally quit my full-time job uh, working in the nonprofit sector. And I'm uh, uh, teaching for Munch workshops full time. Um, but in between there, I had a nice gap of time where I probably, I had about mm, seven weeks of just no, no work. And I figured, man, what could I do with seven weeks of not having to go to work and not having to teach workshops and just having time to do something else that requires a huge chunk of time. And I immediately thought of doing the Colorado Trail. And so that was literally, I started thinking about it back in April. And, and then once I got the buy-in from my wife to do it, then it was like full-on research mode. And so that's the, that's the gist of it. Um, the standard, there's, I don't know, a couple other things to tell you about the Colorado Trail. 500 miles-ish, there's two different routes. You can either go the Collegiate West or the Collegiate East. Basically about halfway through the trail, it splits and then it meets back up again at the southern end of the Collegiate Range, which is like a bunch of big 14ers are in there. So you either go around them or you go in front of them. And I chose the, the harder route to go around them, which takes you up into much higher elevation, more interesting vantage points, more elevation gain required. Um, and so I, of course, just chose the hard way and uh, I don't regret that at all. And then from there, it takes you kind of southwest um, through some cattle country. Um, and that down into the San Juan Mountains of Colorado where I live. So that's kind of how it, the trail itself, that's the gist of it. Um, a lot of people are familiar with through hiking, but basically you carry everything you need to get from one place, point A to point B, 
and that's you know however long it takes and some people do it really fast and some people do it really slow there you go <laughs> awesome i my uh my nephew also lives near denver and he hiked he did that this summer actually oh wow cool I, yeah like july ish I don't know how many days it took him, though. I feel like... So this is not on the questions, but you said some people do it fast and some people do it slow. So what would be fast and what would be slow? Um, I think I'd have to look it up. There's like people that try to do... They set records. It's called like the FKT or fastest known time. So I think for the Colorado Trail, for a man, the fastest known time is something ridiculous, like eight days or something. To, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's really insane and and i think there's like about a hundred thousand feet of elevation gain for the whole trail so it's not flat either so um but i would say really fast like normal human speed would be 14 days and really slow would be like 45 days and i did it in 35 days so but i also climbed uh 20 mountains on the way so I did a lot of extra credit projects <laughs> I love that you called it extra credit yeah <laughs> I love that alright so let's get into it into all, all right. of these questions so I th we got a lot of questions about your prep work like your planning and actually you sent me actually you sent me your like itinerary which I could not find I could not access it maybe you oh. deleted it I don't know <laughs> no, I actually have a I had to redo it because I made a I made an Excel error and it actually oh. really screwed up my entire trip. But um it's okay. Uh it worked out. But yeah, I basically a friend of mine did the Colorado Trail back in 2017 and he was kind enough to share his spreadsheet with me just to kind of give me a general idea. And my whole reason for even having an itinerary wasn't because I'm anal or like obsessed with planning. It's mostly be just to figure out how much food I needed and when I needed it. That was the main reason for kind of thinking through the whole trip um, because without food you die. So, <laughs> um, so that was the whole reason for it. But yeah, I had a huge spreadsheet where I had, you know, how many miles a day, approximately how many cumulative miles, elevation gain in those sections, um, how many f days left of food would I have at that point? Um, yeah, where know, the where water some, stops were, I think you had on there. Sometimes, like if there's, you know, there's sections of the trail where there's not much water, so you kind of have to be mindful of that going into it. Kind of a little bit of planning ahead can help you have save from having some really bad days on trail where you have no water and things like that. So it was mostly just from a practical perspective that is why I created that spreadsheet. Yeah, and I think that's a, such a great idea. And also, you shared with me a while ago your gear sheet, which I looked over and I'm like, I'm impressed with this. Because, so, y'all, Matt has this whole sheet, this whole, like, this is what I brought. It didn't have, on that one, it didn't have, like, food and water weight and stuff like that. But then he's got all of these other tabs that list all his gear. So all he has to do is go through the sheet where you're, like, pack it's like pick it is this how it went matt that you could just pick the thing and put it in your like 
bag that you're taking. So anytime you do it, you know, like a backpacking trip, you just pull the gear, the piece of gear that you have and stuff it in that sheet. And then it calculates all of the weight for you. Yeah. So, I mean, basically a lot of it is gear that I either own or was looking to buy. So if it's something I thought was an upgrade or, you know, like different types of water containers or, you know, lenses or, you know, whatever it is, I would have them in the spreadsheet in its kind of the tab that it belongs to. And then I would put in the weight of that item in there. And then the first tab of the spreadsheet, it's all uh, based on a lookup, VLOOKUP in Excel. So once you pick the drop down, it would pull pull that item and its weight over into that cell. And then it all cascades down into the weight of that area and then the full weight of the entire pack. Um, so it was a nice way for me to kind of compare different items that, you know, had different weights and make decisions of whether or not I left it at home or, oh my God, that weighs a lot. Is there something out there that weighs a little bit less that would be better for me to get? So, um, yeah, I spent a lot of time adding things to that spreadsheet that I didn't own yet that I was thinking about owning. And I just use that as like, okay, how low can I get my weight in a, without, selling my kidneys basically <laughs> awesome and i thought it was really organized so i think the key it looks to me like i guess some people go without a lot of organization but i think if you want to do it comfortably and you know well prepared then having something like that is a really a good idea um so what was the total weight of your equipment uh, and do you know the total weight without your camera ca- without your camera gear like Without camera gear, with camera gear, with food, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so when I left home, um, my total pack weight with no food, no water was 22 pounds, um, which isn't super low for like an ultralight setup, but that also included six pounds of photography, or seven pounds of of photography gear. So I could get my weight down to like 15 pounds, maybe even... 14 or 13 if I really went lighter. And I actually found there's a few things I just would have never brought. But we, you know, we can talk about that later. But, you know, the the heaviest items in my pack, um, I think 33% of my pack weight was all photography equipment, you know. And um, I went into the Colorado Trail thinking about it from a project perspective. Um, I had a goal to record at least one video um, at my campsite or from a location every single day of the hike. So I had to bring audio recording equipment. I had had to have a tripod, you know, so there was extra weight. I had to have batteries and ways to charge those batteries. And so, yeah, that added to the whole overall weight. But 22 pounds with no food and water is pretty good considering I had all that stuff with me. And then I, and then if I think on my very first day when I left the house with food and water, I was at, um, I want to say it was 30, 30 pounds. So not, not too bad. And my average was probably somewhere between 30 and 35 pounds with food and water. That's kind of amazing. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that's what, uh, doing a lot of the pre-planning gets you, you know, for sure. For sure. And there's, there was basically when I back in like April, May, I ha- actually had that spreadsheet already, and I sh- 
went to the backpacking light forums and I shared it with people. I'm like, how are some of you guys getting your pack weight so low? And they would look at my gear list and like, well, this part of your pack weight is really heavy. You could really reduce it by getting this and this instead. So that was really helpful. Um, specifically, the where I had a lot of weight savings was in my cooking system. Um, before this trip, I was a Jetboil user. Um, if you ever do any backpacking, Jetboil is a very popular, common setup. But it's, for what it is, you know, something you use like once a day, twice a day maybe, it's fairly heavy. So I switched to a um, small titanium pot and a little tiny stove called a BRS 3000 that weighs like 0.92 ounces. <laughs> and it was amazing. It cooked just as well as a Jetboil, maybe not quite as fast, but it weighs like you know, one-tenth of what a Jetboil weighs. Um, it's just one of those little fold-up guys, right? Tiny, and they're not expensive. Yeah. It's like 30 pounds on, or $30 on Amazon or something like that. And um, and then your little fuel canister fits in the titanium pot, um, and then the little stove fits on top of that with a lighter, and I use, like, big mini lighters. So my cook system went from, like, I want to say it was, like, a few pounds down to, like, one pound, you know, so that was a huge area where I was able to save weight. That's that means a, like a lot when you're trying to figure out like, do I bring extra food? Do I get extra water? Right. Do I bring a lens? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, I mean, that was the thing. Knowing that I was gonna take it seriously as a photography trip, I, you know, I knew I needed to save as much weight as possible um, in the areas that weren't photography. And then also save as much weight as possible in the photography area as well. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's talk about that because um, I got a lot of questions about like, so here are some of the questions. How did you balance photo gear and hiking gear? What's the minimal kit weight, um, meaning like photo kit weight for a hike like this? And, um, you know, someone asked what's the best lightweight tripod to hold, like a sturdy tripod. And, and I think like... I know you have priority, right? Like you have to have your tent and all of, you know, your survival gear, but also like what were, what was the thought process into your photo gear? So I wanted to be able to photograph anything from, you know, 16 millimeters all the way up to 200 millimeters. I would have loved to be able to go longer, but you know, a 100 to 400 lens is really heavy. <laughs> Um, although I did think about bringing it, I was like, oh, I would use it so much, but I decided to leave it at home. So I, I left home with a little, actually two lenses, um, a Sigma 16 to 28 right here. Cute. And it's F2.8. He's showing so, it. <laughs> yeah, it's tiny. It's, it doesn't yeah. weigh, it's, I think it weighs like, I don't know, 17 ounces or so. It's not that heavy. Um, it's F2.8, so it's good for astrophotography. And then I had the Tamron 28 to 200, which weighs like 22 ounces, I think. It's really light, covers. I love that one. Yeah, it's, it's actually really awesome. I mean, I think it's almost as sharp as the 100 to 400. Honestly, probably 95% of my photos I took with this lens. In fact, um, once I got halfway through with the trail, my parents met me in, in a town called Salida, and I just gave them this lens, the wide angle lens. I'm like, I'm not using mm -hmm. it. Um, why am I carrying this around? It doesn't make sense. So I just used the one lens for the second, entire second half, the, the Tamron 20 to 200. I, it's not perfect. I mean, it's it doesn't have the best 
Boca, it's got really bad flare resistance. If you shoot into the sun, it's pretty bad. It's sharp though, and it's very versatile, and I like it. And it's light. It's lighter than like a 24 to 105 or something. Yeah, else. it is. It's and it's better than the 24 to 105, I think. So I'm so. Side note, <laughs> I'm actually selling my 24 to 105 and my 100 to 400, and I'm getting the Tamron 50 to 400, and I'm keeping that 28 to 200. Like I'm Boom. switching. Ah, yeah, sorry, Sony. <laughs> yeah, they're good lenses. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of my, yeah. And that, I mean, that for backpacking, especially, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I've, I, so I wanted the, a really, really lightweight kit. Um, I got super lucky. So this is the tripod I brought. It is carbon fiber. It weighs almost nothing, right? It's a, uh, it's a Leo photo LS 224CL. I don't think you can buy it, but they have one you, that's very similar you can buy. Um, this is actually a setup that uh, Mark Munch had specifically made made for Munch instructors for travel. I don't know exactly what's different about it compared to what you can actually buy on their website, but it you know it's a very minimal ball head. It's tiny, you know. It's but it was perfect for that 28 to 200. And and what I will say about Backpacking in general, especially if you're trying to do ultralight, almost everything you carry should have multiple uses. So for me, the tripod was not only for photography, but I also used it um, as a kind of like a stand for my solar panel. So I could reposition my tripod and get solar whenever I needed it to charge my camera batteries and to charge my external battery that I used for powering my phone and other stuff. And then um, I also used it as a gravity system for my water filtration. So I kind of jerry-rigged my water filtration system so that it would do a gravity setup with my tripod so that I can filter my water while I'm setting up my tent or cooking or, you know, I don't have to physically be filtering. It just filters it for me. So that was a... That was good to have that. I actually didn't make that realization until like day 10. I'm like, oh, I could use it for that. <laughs> so... Yeah. Smart. Okay. Now everyone's going to wonder how they can get their hands on that tripod. <laughs> they make one that's very similar. Um, yeah, I can't remember the name of it. But um, but I don't know if I answered the- your question. Because like, the original question was, how did I prioritize photography gear versus yeah. other gear? And, you know, obviously there's certain things you have to have. You need a tent. Um, that was also an area where I had huge weight savings. I bought a really nice um cuban fiber tent two-man tent that sets up with just using my trekking poles um from durston it's called a durston x mid pro 2 um i bought i had already had a thermo rest that was really lightweight um but wide and long so it was comfortable you could get by with a smaller pad but you would be less comfortable so i don't like to skimp on all my comfort i have that pad and it's awesome yeah trying to think you know water filtration stove a a lot of ultralight hikers don't use a stove they 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 just cold soak all their food or they eat food that doesn't require cooking but i don't know man they're like having a nice warm meal at the end of the day is pretty awesome so i chose to bring a stove it didn't it doesn't add that much weight really um if you do it right i'm trying to think what else you know clothes i had pretty bare minimum. I had a, one extra pair of boxers. I had one pair of shorts. I had a pair of thermal leggings. 
I had um, one sun hoodie, and I had one short sleeve shirt, and I had a stocking cap, and gloves, thin gloves, really thin hunting like gloves. Like liners? Yeah, like basically. Like merino liners or something? Yep, which I didn't hardly ever use, maybe one or two days total. Um, raincoat, uh, and a puffy. And that's it for clothes. Oh, and like two pairs of socks. Or no, I'm sorry, I had three pairs of socks. Because so one would, you wore, and then two you didn't. You had packed. Yeah, like in case they get wet or whatever. But that's it for clothes, and then, you know, the rest is food and water, and then I have like some survival gear, like, um, like a multi-tool that's good first for first aid you know, kit. I saw first aid kit, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I make my own first aid kit, so it's pretty minimal. God, I'm trying to think what else. It's all on the spreadsheet. I know. I know. We could pull up the spreadsheet and. <laughs> But I think yeah. here, sleeping bag, a, obviously. Right, right. I think you got it. Did you buy a new sleeping bag? I feel like you did. No, I had that sleeping bag already. I've had it for a couple of years. It's a Western Mountaineering Megalite. Um, it's not the lightest bag you could get, but it was pretty nice. And actually, since I ended that trip, I got a, I got some quilts that I'm going to try out. So they're mm. even lighter, and they allow you to kind of move around a little bit more. So anyway. Gear's boring. I know a lot of people love to talk about gear. (laughs) I know, but it is essential to having like a comfortable, fun trip. Like I think if you're going through the trip and you haven't done enough prep and you're like miserable because your socks are wet or you didn't pack an extra because you were trying to save weight or whatever, then... I think this is all valid to just like have a little discussion about because you don't want to be miserable while you're doing this. And if you're trying to do a project at the same time, trying to do photography and have it be meaningful or enjoyable, then, you know, gear matters. It does. And, you know, there's like a sweet spot that's probably different for every person in terms of comfort and weight. And I, you know, Having done lots of backpacking in the past, I kind of know where I can push those limits a little bit. When I first started backpacking as a photographer, my pack weighed like 60 pounds, you know, so, but I've, I've been able to shave that down a lot in the last 10 years. And a lot obviously of this, by like half. And, you know, the gears come a long way too, though, but yeah. That's true. That's true. All the glasses lighter. Um, okay, we have one more question in the gear portion, which is like, which water sanitizer did you use? Oh, for filtration, I mm-hmm. I have a Sawyer Squeeze. So it's like this little black tube that has an inlet and an outlet. And um, I actually kind of customized that a little bit as well. I put this little adapter on it so that I could screw on water fil- well, smart water bottles to the end of it. And then at the top end of it, I got an adapter for my dirty reservoir so i had a four liter um actually <laughs> give me a second i have one right here he's tethered with his headphones <laughs> um here. i got a new one because mine got a leak and they sent me a brand new one i haven't even Ooh. opened it yet but it looks like this it's a hydro pack seeker four liters it's really light but uh, i got an adapter for this mouth that fits onto the sawyer so all i do is you know, go to a stream or a lake, fill that up, and then just screw it onto the top end of the Sawyer, put my smart water bottle on the other end, and then just let it drip. Or, I, you, or you can squeeze it through, you know, if you're at a stop or something, but that's it. And then Put it on your tripod, tripod let it drip. And then 
And then the thing with Sawyer's is you have to be really mindful about not getting it dirty. So um, the filter dirty, because as it gets dirtier and dirtier, it clogs, and then you don't get any water coming out the clean end. So a couple things for that. Um, it comes with this little syringe, which I did not bring. Um, but what I did instead is that with that bottom adapter, I could put another clean reservoir that's lighter than the syringe to the other end and use it to, to back, it's called back flow. You basically, you know, squeeze all the stuff back through the filter. And on the other end of the filter, I got like a garden variety little like hose mesh thing with a rubber seal oh, yeah, on yeah. it. And I put that at the other end so that it would keep large debris from getting into the filter. That's it. That's an awesome hack. I like it. Yeah. I'm full of a little awesome hacks. <laughs> a little awesome hacks. <laughs> yeah. All right. So so you kind of give us the overview of your gear. We talked, we touched on like some of the pre-planning that you did with your spreadsheet and whatnot. But, tiny bit. Right, a tiny bit. So let's talk about that now. Like, so here's the questions. Like, um, how did you, so did you pre-plan where you were going to stay each night? And, uh, and how did you plan your, your route, your 35 day? Yeah. So no, I did not pre-plan where I was going to sleep. However, as part of my planning process, I spent a lot of time on Gaia GPS and I, I looked on the map where the Colorado trail went through and I identified target areas that I thought would be beautiful to stay at from a photography perspective or places that I've always wanted to go to. Sometimes it was right on the trail, sometimes it was maybe a mile off trail. I had targets in mind in terms of like, okay, if I wanna to get to that spot in three days, I need to hike this many miles average over the next few days, kind of a thing. There was only a few of those locations that I was like, I really, really, really wanna spend the night there. Otherwise it was mostly just stop when you're tired. <laughs> You know, or it's too dark to keep hiking. How did you plan the route? And oh. and also, I kind of want to know, like, how did you plan your zero days? And tell yeah. us what those are. Yeah, so zero day was a day off, basically, in a town. Basically, the route is preset, so the trail is the trail, right? But in terms of where I stayed and stopped and things like that, it was very dependent on my food and when I would get my food and where I would get my food. So... Um, you probably have a question in there about this, but a lot of people ask me like, well, how did you get food? Did you, did you bury food in the forest and then have to did come Did you back? cash? So one of the questions is, did you cash food? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I didn't. Yeah. That's no one does that on the Colorado trail, but, um, well maybe, maybe if you do like a, if you're trying to do a record or something, you could do that. But anyway, um, basically you have two approaches on the Colorado trail. You can either not plan any of it. Well, I guess three. You can either not plan any of it, plan everything by mailing yourself packages to small towns, either to the post office in that town or to a gear store in that town or to a hostel in that town, which is also informs zero days. So, um, for example, I had a zero day in Breckenridge, which was my first zero day, um, and I sent all of my, I sent a box of food, a resupply, to the hostel I was staying at. So. As soon as I got to Breckenridge, the hardest thing I had to do was hitchhike to the hostel <laughs> and then get my food and then re repack my pack with all my new food. Um, and that was, I think, seven days worth of food in Breckenridge. 
So then I had to count backwards. Okay, in seven days, where am I going to be next? So from there, it was um, Twin Lakes, uh, which is actually pretty far. So, And then from Twin Lakes, I had another... I didn't do a zero day, but I did stay in a, a hostel there or a cabin that I pre-reserved. So that was part of the flaw in my planning is that I had in Breckenridge, Twin Lakes, and in Creed, I had pre-reserved rooms on specific dates, which is smart because you never know like if there's going to be availability when you get there on the day that you get there. But it's not smart in that you're kind of forced into being there at that day, right? So, you know, if you're taking, if it's taking you longer or you're getting there faster, it's, um, you're just kind of stuck to that schedule. So that was the only downside of kind of planning ahead that way is that I was stuck to that schedule, but it, it was fine. It worked out for me. Um, and also having those preset dates helps keep you on track. You know, like, oh, I got to be in Breckenridge in two days. I better hike fast today. You know, there's a lot of that. I saw your story. You were like eating pizza and I'm like, I would be like, I got to get there so I can eat this hot pizza. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Food is a huge motivator. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it totally would be for me. Hot, cheesy pizza. Come on. Yeah. Um, before we get to some of these logistics, like on the hike, uh, tell us about your training. How did you go about getting ready to do this thing? Yeah. So even before I, thought about doing the trail i try to stay reasonably fit um i live at 6700 feet elevation so i'm at a nice elevation to stay fit in terms of cardio so in the winter time usually i'm riding my peloton a bit um, and also um, doing some hiking around my house and then for probably the last two years now at least three or four times a week um, i would almost every day do like a little two or three mile hike. Once I committed to doing the trail though, I got really serious about training and um, I live next to this cool mountain here in Durango mountain. It's called Animus City Mountain. It's basically a big forested hill <laughs> and has some nice overlooks and stuff. Goes through some ponderosa pines. Um, but I did, this, I did this huge loop every day, the same loop. It was seven miles door to door from my house um, and about 1,500 feet of elevation gain. Mm. So basically for two and a half months, every single day I hiked seven miles. Dang, I wish I had that here. Well, I guess I could hike seven miles. I'm planning to do a little bit of a trek. I'll tell you about it later. Yeah. So that's how I we, that's we how I talk prepped. about it at the end. Okay, well, awesome. Physically, you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's huge to, you know, to have that space where you're at elevation and you're able to do that kind of thing. And I would think for anyone who's planning this kind of a thing that they're going to have to find their own way. We could talk about that at the end. Okay. Hike logistics. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. How did you go to the bathroom? AKA, how did you poop? <laughs> did you dig holes? Did you pack it? I thought we'd have a bunch of these questions. There was only one. You know who you are. <laughs> um, you know, it's, yeah, you, usually it's every, in the, every morning you get up and that's the first thing you want to do after you drink some coffee or something. And, you know, you hike off into the woods about, I don't know, a hundred yards away or so and find a nice little spot that's got soft ground and you dig a hole. Um, I brought this little like 
lightweight aluminum spade thing that I use to dig holes, but I found that I could just use like big fallen trees, like sticks from trees and stuff to dig holes. I didn't, I ended up, I ended up not using that thing. I sent it home with my parents halfway through because it just, oh. just, I just didn't I've need used, it. I've used that thing and big rocks. Yeah. So, you know, you <laughs> dig a hole and you do your thing. Um, and, you know, you could do a whole, de- we could do a whole demonstration on proper form if we wanted. But uh, actually, um, <laughs> this, this, what I did this year is I, I purposely did not pack any toilet paper. Um, Wait, you didn't? Because that was on your list. Yeah. Like I didn't a half bring- roll. Yeah, I didn't bring any toilet paper. I did bring some, like, wet wipes, um, just a little bit to kind of clean yourself up every day or two. But I bought a it's – called, it's called a backpacking bidet. Um, and the one I bought is called the Holy Hiker bidet, backpacking bidet. And if you look at his YouTube videos, he shows you how to use it. And it's awesome. And a lot of people think it's really stupid and crazy, but he shows you how it's not. But basically, it's this tiny little piece of plastic that weighs, like, nothing. And it has four holes in it with a little arrow on the top pointing which direction the water comes out. And it's got a little rubber gasket at the bottom. And you put it... So everyone who does through hikes, they use smart use smart water bottles, right? So you take one of your smart water bottles. And yes, it could be the one you drink from. And I'll explain why that's not a problem in a second. You take the lid off. You put the bidet in the, in the top of the thing. You... Squirt, 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 sprays water. Do your thing. Do your thing. It sprays the sprays you. And then I would just use like leaves or a bunch of grass that I could find and use that to kind of help clean up. And I found that was fine. It's perfect. And then I didn't have to worry about carrying out toilet paper or anything like that. Um, nice. And then yeah. you're clean. Little bum wash. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> honestly is way better than toilet paper. Like I. I couldn't recommend it more. It does take some time to get used to and to do it right, but once you got it down, it's to like, that. yeah, and it's, link it's, to that in the show description. Yeah, and it's like it's like ten dollars or something. It's nothing. And the reason why it doesn't matter is because you're not. It's there's no backwashing. You just clean water goes out the end. Nothing goes back in. Right, and right? it doesn't. It, and it doesn't like sp- there's it doesn't backsplash onto your water bottle. If you think about it, like if here's your butt and you're spraying water like this, it bounces like that. Like it doesn't, you know, y'all, this is why you need to watch the video. <laughs> it's gravity, right? It's, it doesn't spray backwards into your bottle. <laughs> okay. Now I'm really glad we asked that question. <laughs> All right. We got another question. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I don't remember who this was. They said one question, chafing. I think that was Kevin Lasota. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so I didn't have any of that problem, but I did halfway through decide to switch um, from wearing. Um, I almost always hike with uh, Prana Zion pants or shorts, and I like. I brought a pair of the kind that you can take the legs off. You know, so it was nice. Mm-hmm. I could have shorts or pants, and what I was finding is like they were just really hot. Like, there wasn't a lot of room for air circulation down there. So I switched over to a pair of Patagonia baggy shorts, and that was game changer. Um, just way more air circulation. You know, you're, you never felt like you were on fire. Like, you're, 
and you weren't sweating constantly. So, but I didn't have any problems with that. But I quickly realized that it was not the most comfortable to to wear pants. So switching to the baggy shorts was amazing. I like wearing pants, but I also run cold. So, all right. Now that we talked about clothes. So what about clean clothes? How did you clean your clothes? Did you clean your clothes? Because maybe you didn't. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, so basically what I did was I carried a little bottle um, with Dr. Bronner's lavender soap in it. Mm. And you can use that for all kinds of stuff. But I used it for mostly doing laundry. So what I would do every couple of days is I would take, you know, underwear, socks, maybe a shirt if it was really bad and put it all in a I got these big two gallon Ziploc bags I just had one of them but I took a two gallon Ziploc bag put all my clothes in it got to a stream or a lake filled it with water put a couple three four drops of the soap in there and then I just and then sealed it and then I did my laundry in the bag um, rinsed everything out and it was good to go Awesome. Air dried it on a tent, maybe, you know, or on or a tree. Or the tripod. Yeah. Multi-use tripod. <laughs> yeah. But that's like, you know, I, you know, you do that every few days. It wasn't like... And then what, absolutely when you get to towns, you do laundry. So like, you know, Breckenridge, I did laundry. Creed, I did laundry. Twin Lakes, I did laundry. Salida, I did laundry. But that's it. Four times. Oh, I did laundry in Silverton, too. Yeah. So there you go. All your dying, your burning questions are answered about laundry and... Yeah, so exciting. (laughs) And uh, pooping in the woods. Right. (laughs) All right, so, okay. So, uh, did you bring something to sit on? Oh, fun. So, I did not. Uh, I did not bring anything to sit on. However, in Breckenridge, at the hostel I stayed at, pretty much every hostel or place where people spend a lot of time as through hikers, they have a hiker box. And it's basically stuff that people get rid of um, because they realize they don't want it anymore or don't need it or whatever. So sometimes it's got like half empty fuel canisters or whatever. But in this box, there was like a Thermarest Z um, like foam pad, but it was just like a little sliver of one. And it folded up into like a little square and it weighed nothing. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I can use that to to sit down on rocks and logs. So I took it and I started incorporating that into my daily backpacking routine is using that as my chair. Nice. Yeah. It's always nice to have a little something comfortable to sit on. Yeah. All right. So uh, how did you charge your batteries? You mentioned solar panels, but tell us about those. So I knew going into the trip that the first half I would have more access to towns more, more frequently where I could spend more time charging. So I didn't bring my solar panels for the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did have, and actually, do I have it here? No, this is like the smaller version of it. I had a 20,000 milliamp hour version of this little guy. This is the 10,000 and it's like a, it's a Nightcore NB 20,000. It's tiny. It's got two, it's US, small. two USB ports, a USB-C, a USB-A. Um, and I would charge, I would charge my camera batteries on that, um, using, um, you've probably seen one of these before, but uh, for Sony, it's like a little new MOA thing, takes two batteries mm -hmm. at a time and it's a USB connection and it would charge right here on this little guy 
um, no problem. And then I would also use that to charge my phone and my audio. I, so I use Rode Wireless Go for my audio, so I would have to keep those charged up. Um, I, I brought my, my iWatch, so I'd have to keep that charged up. Um, but that was about it in terms of device charging. Um, oh, my Garmin. That was pretty much priority one was my phone and my Garmin mm -hmm. in reach. So basically those are, that's how I did it. And then I knew after the second half that, or after the first half that I would not have as many towns to visit. So that's when I had, I added my solar panels in that I had purchased and they're, they're like anchor. It's like a 22 watt solar panel. It's really nice. It folds up about this big, I don't know, like. 12 by 5 inches and it just fit right down into my pack no problem hmm. and you can charge through USB right to that and I would use that as much as I could going from then on to keep things topped off and that's assuming you have sun so yeah, well, I, mean, <laughs> I was in Colorado so most of the time you're going to have some sunlight um, I got lucky I didn't really have any problems with that when I needed solar I had it so good which meant fewer I assume, clouds. So. Right, I know. I know. We have a question about that. Um, I assume that you did some testing about how long it would, you know, things would drain and things like that. Or did you just... I really didn't do any maybe testing. Maybe you didn't. No, I just knew... I would be, like, really concerned about it. I'm like, okay, I can go this long. I can use it this much. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I'm glad I brought the 20,000 version of this, 20,000 mil, um, milliamp hours, because it. there was a few times where it got almost empty, and I was, you know, then you have nothing that you can charge your stuff with. And for me, the most important thing was my Garmin inReach, just to make mm -hmm. sure. Because I, I had set up my Garmin inReach to do, um, it would update my coordinates every 10 minutes. Oh, and um, so people could like follow along if they had the link and watch. And then I would also um, send when, whenever I got to like different waypoints or, you know, camps or tops of mountains, I would send a group text through my Garmin Enrich to like 10 people who wanted to be on the list. And so it was important for me to keep that fully charged. And of course, my phone right. fully charged because that's what I used for my um, for Gaia GPS so that I knew where I was at and how much for it, blah, blah, blah. There's a great app that you can get for your phone that's for the Colorado Trail. And I think they do the Appalachian Trail, the CDT, the PCT as well. But it's um, it is uh, it's called Far Out. Mm. And you can download different maps for it. And what's cool about Far Out is it'll show you where all of the water points are, how far away you are from that water point, then there's also comments from people like, oh, it's dry now, or it's flowing great, or hey, there's really awesome campsites 0.2 miles south of here. Like, it was a great tool to just have a little bit more situational awareness um, about what's coming up next. So you could even plan ahead more kind of day to day. Um, and then once you got to town, you had cell service, you can download their latest comments. So it was a, that was a great tool to use that as well. People do smart things. They make yeah. apps, smart apps. All right. So this is a fun question. How did you keep your camera dry during those gnarly Colorado thunderstorms? <laughs> did so, you have any? <laughs> did, for sure, yeah. Um, actually had a very scary moment one morning. But uh, 
Basically, I had a Hyperlite um, chest harness bag that's waterproof um, that I had basically kind of constructed a way for it to fit onto my shoulder straps. Um, and so that's where I kept my camera at all times. And then everything else that I had, um, including clothes, sleeping bag, um, camera gear, batteries, things like that, I had these um, like Cuban fiber bags um, that are, you know, they're not waterproof, but unless you like drop it in a lake, you're not, stuff inside is not going to get wet. And then I had things kind of color coded, so I'm like, oh, I need my gear bag. So like all my batteries and things like that were always in this bag. I had another bag that was just for um, like toiletries and survival gear. I had another bag that was, you know, so it's just organized that way. Because my backpack that I have, um, it doesn't have like a bunch of pockets. It's just like a big giant tube. <laughs> so you have to have things kind of organized so that otherwise you're just throwing stuff in a bag and where did it go? And, um, it wastes time and it gets frustrating when you have to like pull everything out or whatever to look for the one thing. So then I also had a, um, a pack liner for my backpack, even though I don't think that was really necessary. But it, So I was never worried about stuff getting wet. But I did have a one day, pretty much all day long, where it rained pretty much all day, set up camp, and it was just really damp. Everything was wet. I'm, I'm sure throughout that day, I took my camera and out of my bag a few times. So, you know, it got water on it a little bit. I wasn't worried about it dying. But then when I got it out the next day, both lens elements had condensation on both sides, like inside the inside of the element. And I was like, oh, great. I don't have a camera anymore. That's awesome. But I put it in the sun and it dried out. But that was kind of a scary moment. I was like, oh, my lens is completely ruined. But it was fine. That's good to know in case I need to do that one day. <laughs> yeah. Condensation will kill you, man. It's Especially when you've done, I know, it, but especially when you've done all of that prep work. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, what am I looking at here? Am I looking at no more photography and, you know, all of that stuff? So Yeah, and the stupid thing I did is, knowing that my camera and lens had water on them, I should have put them somewhere where they would have aired out overnight, but I kept them sealed inside the camera bag, which was in my tent vestibule. So I think it's just, you know, it just there wasn't an opportunity for them to get dry. And then when the temperature changed, it just turned into condensation. So it was my bad. We're glad it worked out fine yeah, in the end. Too. Right. All right. So let's get into the experience. Since we're talking about photography, let's just keep talking about that. Um, since we're talking about lenses, what were your expectations in terms of like getting the shots? Um, I didn't, I mean, uh, I feel like I preach this all the time, but I didn't have any expectations at all going into the trip in terms of what photographs I may or may not come home with. I had a few locations in mind in terms of that could be cool, but in terms of getting specific photographs, anything like that, I had zero expectations. And that just made it to where I was open-minded. Like throughout the day, if I saw something on the side of the trail or across the valley or whatever, or an interesting light over there, I would just photograph it. Probably 90% of the photographs I took were handhelds. I didn't, you know, I, since these cameras are ISO invariant, that's a whole other conversation, but you know, you can shoot it like ISO 320 
and it's basically as good as ISO 100 and you can have your shutter speed a little bit better. And so I wasn't, but yeah, I wasn't worried about, oh, I have to get that photo or this kind of photo. I was mostly just, I'm going to go to some really cool spots and take pictures when on the way. That was it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do know. I actually, a little side note, I think that boils down to trusting yourself to do whatever photography comes to you and that you are going to get images that you like, even without the pre-planning, like even without knowing what it is that you're going to get. I think it just boils down to trust. For me, it does anyway. Yeah, and I mean... I've learned that I mean, by to listening fair, to this podcast. <laughs> well, I think, Matt, here's the thing. You have beat this into us about expectations. Not really beat, but... And also, you've had a lot of guests on that have talked about like releasing some of the expectations and for me like early on I was like oh yeah this is a great idea to kind of let all those go and trust myself and see what I can do so yeah and honestly I found that sometimes expectations can be a huge creative block in terms of mm, having some preconceived ideas that then prevent you from being open to seeing other things that you might find interesting. Now, I will say, could I have come away with a few more incredible photographs with a little bit more planning ahead? Probably. But, um, you know, when you're doing a through hike and you have limited food for each part of the trail, you know, you, you really have, for me, I had to put photography kind of second. Um, even though I, the purpose of the trip was to take photos on, on the Colorado Trail, actually making it to the next part where I could get more food was more important than staying an extra day at a specific spot so I could maybe get better light. You know, it was mostly just you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. You know, it's um, you just make the best of what you got. And for me, um, this is going to sound like a broken record, but I think. That's where good photographers can differentiate themselves from the pack. If you can make a good photograph in what you don't think is ideal conditions or maybe not that exciting of a location, that's because you're putting more into it as a photographer. You're bringing something to the table creatively with your vision, with your voice, and you're not relying on conditions. You're not relying on the location to deliver uh, a good photograph. Exactly. And... I think this goes along with some of the other questions that that we got here, which is like, how did you balance photography with the miles? But I like this one too. You kind of touched on that. Did you have to consciously limit the time you spent photographing? So, like, if you were if you were like, okay, this one day, or like, let's say you had three days to get to this one spot that you wanted to get to. Did you have to make sacrifices? Uh, I see something over there, but I'm not going to do it because I have to keep hiking. Like, how did that work? Um, I will say that um, just based on my knowledge of Colorado, I was able to, as part of my planning process, I, I was able to kind of prioritize mileage or, or doing less mileage in the places that I thought would be more photogenic. For example... Um, when I got to the San Juans, my day, my miles per day went from like 22 to 20 to 24 miles a day down to like 11 or 10 a day. 
because I knew that I would want to spend more time in those places. Um, and there was certain parts of the trail that I knew weren't going to be as photographically exciting that I would, I just, I'm doing 24 miles today, you know, and I'm not, if there's a cool photograph on the way, great. But that's today. It's all about getting 24 miles done, you know? So, um, so I purposely planned ahead in terms of giving myself more time in the locations that I knew would have more potential. Amazing. I mean, I think that sounds right, right? Because you know it and you could plan ahead to do that. So Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's not like I don't plan at all, but... <laughs> I'm picturing myself hiking 24 miles in a day. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Okay. So, so, you know, going into this thing, right? I did seven miles a day, right? Which is, sounds like a lot, but then you contrast that with doing a 28 mile day and it's like seven miles is nothing. Mm -hmm. My very first day on trail, I did 28.3 miles, I think, 28.4 miles first day. And yeah, you just, it's, it's hard to fathom, but you just, your body adapts and you just, you, you, you do it. (laughs) Right. You're like, okay, here I am. I'm as prepared as I'm going to be. So you mentioned going up some mountains and doing side trips, right? Like were those diversions for photography? Um, partially for photography and partially just to get to the tops of mountains because I'm a, you know, I'm a mountain climber and I love mountains. And so going into the trip, I looked, you know, once again on the trail, I'm like, okay, what are some mountains adjacent to trail that I could do on the way? And I kind of, I, I think I identified like 30 or 40 peaks that looked interesting. And then based on how I felt that day or the weather, I would either go do them or not. Um, so that was kind of the plan. Did I say 20 peaks? I think I did 30 peaks total. Yeah, 30 you peaks. You said you 20. identified 30 peaks. but I think I identi- identified about 40 and I did 30 peaks. So um, a few of those were specific for fo- photography and most of it was just, that looks fun. The masochism comes through. <laughs> yeah, like getting up at uh, 2.30 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Uh, hiking to the top of the second highest mountain in Colorado. Photographing sunrise from the top. Hiking all the way back to your campsite. Tearing down your campsite. And then hiking another 17 miles to Twin Lakes for your resupply. Piece of cake. Sounds like a, a good adventure. That was a, that was a rough day. Yeah, that sounds like a rough day. But, man, the sunrise up there was incredible. It's one of those things that you, it sounds like you just do because you're there. And it's not going to be, the opportunity isn't coming again soon, anytime soon. Yeah, not easily. I mean, to get to some of these locations just to climb them again, you're going to spend three or four days of, you know, driving and then backpacking in. And, yeah. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to knock these mountains out. I'm here. Let's do it. That's right. That's right. All right. So, oh, maybe we didn't answer this. Did you divert a lot from for photography or did you just kind of find it along the trail? You know, or did you like set up camp and then go off looking? What did that look like? Yeah. So kind of more the latter. There was a lot of locations where I knew there'd be great photographs somewhere in there. So I, once I got set up, then I would go on like a little side hike and 
Um, like there was this one spot where I went back up to this little ridge probably three times to to get a photograph up there because the light was so good on the last morning that I was like, I gotta go back. So then it was like, an, you know, I added like an extra mile and another thousand feet of vertical gain to just get to that vantage point for the photograph. But um, yeah, it was mostly just um, leveraging what was nearby and hoping for the best. Okay, so there you go. Did you, oh, this was an interesting question. Did you find, I'll just ask it. Did you find making unique creative work easier on a long expedition? And I'm going to combo it with this question. Did you experiment with any unique photography techniques or styles? Yeah, well, I'll answer the second question first. I did do, I did experiment a little with ICM, um, intentional camera movement. Not a ton, but just a little bit. Um, fun for fun. I got, yeah, I don't think I got anything interesting, but it was still fun to mess around with that. In terms of it's finding it easier for creativity, you know, I do think it is harder to be creative when you're so focused on, I have to get to my next destination today, and I only have this much time to do it, and also I'm tired. Like, that definitely reduces your creativity for sure, but at the same time, I found myself just noticing little things along the trail. Like there was this one day where I was hiking kind of down this section that was in thick woods and it was like maybe eight in the morning, nine in the morning. And there's light filtering through the tree canopy and there's these little wildflowers growing on the forest floor. And every once in a while, one of those flowers would catch the light and everything else around it would be dark. And I thought, I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I'll look for some of that as I hike down and photograph it once I see it and whether or not those photos are any good or not I don't know but you know I found I found it creatively freeing to just be open to finding Mm -hmm. things and then once I found something that I thought was interesting I would stop take a quick photo and then move on like you know there's an interesting log with really cool patterns on it photograph it there's a cluster of wildflowers on a hillside. Photograph it. Um, there's an amazing view of some mountains I'm familiar with with some clouds floating over. Photograph it. So it's mostly just kind of letting, um, kind of loosening the control of creative process a little bit and letting nature and the trail itself kind of dictate what I found interesting and then just following my instincts to capture an interesting photograph. And, and I want to point out, you set yourself up for success too, because you had that, um, you had your camera right in front of you that you could just pick up and use anytime. Like it was right there. So it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of time. Yeah. You didn't need time. If you saw something interesting, like boom, you had it in your hand. Like that's all it took. Right. So, and if you're, if you're doing handheld then, and you don't need your tripod for that specific moment, then click, click, click put it away keep going yeah and I mean, <laughs> maybe you a could, minute maybe two i don't know you could get you could get Five. by without a you could get by without a tripod on a trip like this but i had to have one for the video and also you know for the low those low light sunrise sunset sunset shots you gotta have a tripod i mean come on mm-hmm. unless you're shooting That's at true. like iso 3200 give me a break how about 10,000 iso 10,000 just kidding i mean you can <laughs> Good luck printing. Yeah. Hey, AI does a good job now, right? 
Just kidding. That's not what this show is about. We're moving on to hiking. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see. Oh, just answer this really quick. Did you find long distance hiking and landscape photography? Did those go well together? Did you find that they, you could put them together pretty easily? I think for my approach to photography now, it's, it goes really well together. Like if you don't have a predestined spot in mind where you want to capture a photograph or a composition and you're just more open to responding to what you come across, it's really good for it because you're going to come across lots and lots and lots and lots of diverse and interesting subjects every single day even in the most boring sections of trail there's stuff that i was like oh that's kind of neat you know so i think it goes really well especially for someone who's into like smaller scenes or you know more intimate scenes i think there's the possibilities are endless endless in fact i remember i can't remember which section it was but i remember texting my photography friend kane i was like this section of trail is like an intimate photographer's paradise because there was just so many things right off trail that you could capture i mean it's almost distracting you're like okay but i gotta keep going you know like so sometimes it was hard like oh i want to photograph that i want to i oh, let's keep going let's go let's go so especially when you've trained that. yourself right especially when you've trained yourself when you see something like this is what i've been doing is like i want to when i see something that's interesting i want to go photograph it like i want right. to give my like intuition that I don't know. Anyway, I want to be able to do that. And so to walk away from it is like, kills me inside. But a little bit. it was also a great exercise in being picky, you know, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, that's interesting. But I think there's something very similar to that that'll be better. And so then it was like mostly like, okay, planting a seed, that's an idea. And I'm going to come across something that's the same thing, only better later on. So there was a and lot releasing of any, And releasing some of the FOMO, maybe. Yeah, no, I had no FOMO. I was, like, Good. way more excited like about it. eating dinner and You're sleeping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's... <laughs> I would be, too. I'd be like, okay, i got to get these bad boy shoes off. <laughs> they got to come off. So, all right, so that's interesting because that you bring that up because uh, one of the questions here is, did you hit days where the urge to photograph was overwhelmed by the fatigue of hiking? How did you, um, you know, compensate? And also in that vein, like... Did you find yourself, if you had a, like a long distance to go and some fatigue, did you find your like? Did you find yourself altering how you made photos? Hmm. Well, I will say one of the cool things about a through hike is that you have so much trail ahead of you almost the whole time that I was always like, yeah, this is nice, but tomorrow will be more of the same or better. So I was never like, oh, I'm so sad. I can't stay here. Because I was always like, ooh, in eight miles, I'm going to be here. And that's going to be cool, too. So I was constantly looking forward to things that were coming up. And the things that I was currently at, I was I, I would take advantage of them photographically if I could. Or if the light was, you know, what I wanted for that scene, whatever. But I never felt like, oh, man, I wish I had another day to spend here. Mostly just because... I knew there's going to be more opportunities in the next day or two to get something better. Um, there was one day that I was like, oh, man, I wish the clouds were better. This, 
but that was just like one time because I was at like such an incredible spot and it just didn't really work out but that was like really the only time I was going to say something but I can't remember now because I was so involved with your <laughs> yeah and I feel like you just asked me like seven <laughs> questions and I only answered like I know, one of I, like, them. I, I, know <laughs> I did the I did the Andrew Huberman thing have you ever listened to him I do. He asked like a minute long question. No, I you answered it because you know if you wanted to accomplish something in a day, you know, did you find yourself altering? I think you answered this. How you take photographs? Either I think you were either just like I'm not going to do it because I want to get there and I don't have FOMO because I I just want to enjoy the experience. Like I don't have to make photos every single minute and I don't have to be looking for photos every single minute either. It's it, it like that gets exhausting too. You you have to have. I've, it seems like if you're going to do this kind of trip, there needs to be some sort of a balance with that. Oh, for sure. I mean, you can't beat yourself up or be, get upset by the photography side of things because a you have so much more other stuff to worry about, and b I mean your mood is a huge thing. Like. I, staying in a positive mindset was really important for me, mm-hmm. and I constantly would would do things to keep myself centered in that way. You know, in terms of um, if I needed time alone or if I wanted the company of another person, like I would purposely try to get those needs met because I knew it was good for my mental health to stay to keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, were there a lot of people on the trail? Um, way less than I was expecting, for sure. But I got really lucky because one of my biggest fears going into this as an extrovert was just having day after day after day of being by myself. Um, and I got really lucky. Some people are like, my dream. <laughs> I know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy that, too. But, like, I need both. And um, Yeah, same. And uh, I got really lucky. Like, I want to say it was day three or four, I met this person, this this girl that lives in Aspen, and we got to talking, and we have a very similar background in mental health, so we had something easy to talk about that we knew a lot about, and then our itinerary was almost identical, so I was like, well, we should just like camp together when we can, and that way we have someone to hang out and talk to at night, and so basically, we hiked together for like 200 and 80 miles of the trail together pretty much off and on but it was good to have someone that i could hang out with every almost every night just to how'd your day go like what did you see today you know that kind of thing right yeah i love that and i I think this goes along with this question that's why i asked this question if you like you know if it was busy because the question was how did the solitude and isolation of the wilderness impact your creative process and so you would have to that would mean that you were isolated and in solitude. But I assume sometimes it was really just you and nature, you know, like maybe quite often. So did that impact your creative process? For sure. I mean, I feel like I did. I take, I'm a better photographer when I'm by myself, but I'm in Mm -hmm. a better mood when I'm with other people. So I have to do both. So um, typically what that looked like is, during the day I would be by myself and then at night at camp I would hopefully be camped next to someone I could talk to so like there was one day where I was on Collegiate West 2 or 3 Collegiate West 3 it starts at Cottonwood Pass 
So in the morning, I, w- I woke up about a mile and a half from Conwood Pass. I was at this amazing lake um, with a mountain behind it, incredible scene. Um, there was a giant moose that walked right through the lakes, <laughs> right below me. And then that day, I hiked up past the trail, up onto a ridge, and there's this ridge of 13,000 foot mountains that goes for like 10 miles that's kind of parallels the trail. And I just followed those mountains the whole day by myself. And I ran into tons and tons of ptarmigan, which are these like birds that are camouflaged to look like rocks. They're pretty cool. Um, They're kind of like grouse. Um, I like to call them thunder chickens, but that's my own thing. And then, and then and I ran so they into shall like, be named. Thunder chickens, <laughs> yes. And then I ran into a, a herd of mountain goats that were like, a couple of them are juvenile, and they were playing on this snow field at the top of this ridge, like jumping up and down in the snow and stuff. It was so fun to watch them. And, um, you know, just moments like that where completely by myself, uh, me in the mountains and, the, and nature and just enjoying every minute of it. I mean, it was... I remember that specific day I texted my friend and I said, this is like pure Colorado heaven. Like this is Colorado, quintessential Colorado right here. Like I'm experiencing it the way it needs to be experienced. And for a Colorado photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Mountains in every direction. (laughs) Mountain goats. Like what what else do you want? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes. Nirvana. Colorado photographer knew Nirvana. Yeah, exactly. You'll have to message Matt for where that location is. And there was no thunders. There was no weather that day. So I could stay above treeline all day. It was Ooh, amazing. nice. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a desert photographer. I hardly ever see mountains. No, <laughs> so. it's, well, they're hard to photograph, I think. But I think so, too. I, I agree. I agree. All right. This is, we're going to talk about the experience. I have no idea how much longer this will go, but this is like the meaty, meaty, meaty part. So we, right. you have shared quite a bit with us, Matt. So you're doing amazing. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to give you that little like boost of confidence. Um, I love really, lo- this is where, where all the, a lot more of the questions that I really love come in. And um, so I'm really excited for this. So what, what were your biggest like setbacks on the way? Like, did you have any big ones or like, and if so, how did you overcome them? And I assume that has to do a lot with your mindset and keeping track of that too. So tell us about that. A lot of the setbacks were logistical in nature that then impact kind of how you're feeling about the day or about the future. For example, the shoes I wore, um, I just wore the normal insoles. I had uh, Ultra Lone Peaks sixes. Yeah, I'm wearing them right now. And um, the stock insoles are like really thin. And then you know, if you're hiking 20 miles a day, they your feet just hurt. So like the first thing I did, I got to Breckenridge, just buy new insoles, like really nice, chunky, really comfortable insoles. That was a game changer. So that was a huge setback because it was causing literally physical pain to my feet. I had one night where I had set my tent up. I was at this high mountain lake at 12,800 feet and it was really windy and my tent literally blew over at three in the morning with me inside of it. So like the poles just collapsed and the tent just folded in on itself with me inside of it. So I had to like push the tent up 
you know, and like get out of the tent and rebuild the tent, basically. I would have just wanted to lay there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just let the wind blow. (laughs) And so that was like, not really a setback, but you know, like disturbs your sleep. Mm -hmm. And it's already hard enough to sleep on trail because you're in a sleeping bag and I don't know, it's getting a good night's sleep is not super easy, even if you're super tired. Yeah. So that that was a kind of a setback, but not really a major one. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a whole lot of setbacks. I mean, I, I had everything so dialed in planning wise that it, it was hard to have many setbacks. Awesome. And I think too, having a good mindset going into it, like really helps you overcome, like you probably didn't think anything that happened. A lot of things that happened were a big deal because if you've got this mindset, like, oh, stuff's going to happen. So I'm just going to deal with it when it comes here and, you know, work around it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And I will say that, um, the through hiking community and culture is very, they like to help each other. So like on my second day third day i can't remember i ran into this guy who like his iphone cable like just didn't work and i happened to have an extra one so i just gave it to him and then way later on in the trail my lighter ran out of lighter fluid so this guy was like oh i have an extra here you go so like you know stuff like that little things like people just help each other out like oh do you need oh that day i did that crazy mountain ridge running thing i did i there's no water up there and i got about halfway through and my friend that i had been hiking with coincidentally we ran into each other again right at this ridge and i was like do you have any extra water (laughs) and she's like actually yeah i have extra water and so she gave me extra water which helped me get to the next you know get through that that next section until i could get to a water source so little things like that like the other hikers can you know we help each other out a lot so that was that was nice to see it's like a special little like short-term community which is really kind of cool it is it is it's very cool Okay. Can you share a funny or unexpected moment with wildlife or people? Oh, for sure. I had a very, 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 very incredible experience one night where um, I got had a big day of hiking. I got to this campsite probably mm, an hour and a half before sunset. Um, it was right close to this mountain ridge, um, but just above, or just below tree line. And um, it was really the only water source in this section. So I was like, I have to stay here. And I was camped right next to these willows. And if you don't know what willows are, it's like these thick bushes that are like usually about as tall as a person. Also favorite, favorite food of moose, turns out. So I set up my tent and uh, got in my tent to change. I, was, I think I was changing out of my sweaty shirt into a different shirt. So I changed shirts, got out of my tent, and I was going to go over and start cooking dinner. I heard all this rustling behind me. So I turned around, and literally like 20 feet away was a, was a mama moose um, and a baby moose. Uh, and I was like, oh, crud. But also, wow, that's amazing. But also, I'm going to die tonight. <laughs> you know, like I was terrified because, you know, moose... And babies, like, you just never know. Like, they can get very territorial. Um, So I was very cautious about that. And then 10 minutes later, bull moose joins them, comes down the hillside and joins them. So I had three moose hanging around me. Um, Literally, they stayed around until after sunset. It was an amazing sunset. Um, And I got some pictures of them with the amazing sunset behind them. And that was a pretty cool, pretty cool to witness that. Um... And then eventually they just left. Um, 
And then about three in the morning, uh, the bull moose woke me up. He was making all these weird sounds and he was eating like literally right next to my tent, but making all these, you know, just weird, weird sounds. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll get up. Um, so I got up and, and waited for him to move on. And then I hiked up to this mountain nearby and I photographed the full moon at sunrise setting behind the moonrise was the moon set was setting behind these mountain peaks so i was like thanks for waking me up man you know that was cool so so that was that was very unexpected and a very interesting day i have heard that about moose oh my goodness i bet we could like talk for like hours and hours about like so many stories all right i'm not normally a cusser but here's the question okay (laughs) any scary shit happen I mean that was probably the the scariest thing really? because I yeah I was just really worried about because they were so close to me mm-hmm. and I had I mean I wasn't really in a thick forest so it was not like I could just run through the trees I mean I just felt very vulnerable um, had a I had one day of hiking down in this big river valley surrounded by mountain peaks big 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 thunderstorm came rolling in. Um, and you know, I'm in this big open meadow next to a river and there's lightning bolts flying everywhere. And so I like had to go up into the trees a bit and take shelter. It was hailing constantly. So that was, that was a kind of a scary day a little bit just because the lightning was so close. And then there's hail, which. Yeah. And the hail. Yeah. But other than that, no, not nothing. Um, well, Okay. Let me take it back. So I also, closer to the end of the trip, um, I was camped at this high mountain lake, and there's a 13er there that I've always wanted to climb called White Dome. It's like 13.7, and it's right at the end of the Grenadier Range, so it's got these incredible views of some of the most jagged mountains in Colorado. So I knew it would be awesome to get up there for sunset, and I was literally right next to it from my campsite. So I, and But there's no route up it. It's just... It's a lot of scrambling and loose rock and really dangerous, but I did it and I went up there and, you know, it took me a while because it was really treacherous terrain and I had to take my time. But this is the first time I've ever been on top of a mountain intending to photograph sunset when I was like, I don't think it would be safe to do this in the dark to come down. You know, I just felt so strongly that it would be a very bad idea to to try to down climb that mountain in the dark. So I took some photos and then I down climbed while there was still light. And it was really nasty down climbing. I mean, just gross, gross, gross scree and rock and loose rock everywhere and very, very steep. Um, No trails or anything, just mountain goat style. So that, I think this is a case where you used your intuition of, from your experience and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> 10 years ago, I probably would have done it, but I don't know. But you live to tell the tale. Exactly. That's right. What was your favorite place? Oh, favorite place. So there is this area of the trail that's pretty much surrounded by 13,000 foot peaks. And there's like a series of lakes down in these this basin. And that lake has an incredible view of a 14er called sunshine and that was 
probably one of my favorite places. I, I, I got some really good light one morning up there. There was a moose down in the lake. I mean, it was just idyllic. And then second place, there's another high mountain lake that I had to bushwhack off trail about two miles to camp at. Um, but I'd always want to go up there because I knew that that lake has one of the most amazing views of a 14er called Mount Huron that I wanted to capture. And I was able to get that in some really good light too. So those are probably my two favorite spots. And of course, they are both tied to photographs. So there you go. More Colorado Nirvana. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a couple of questions that go kind of together. Uh, Jason in the wilderness asked this. He said, which sections surprised you as being more interesting than expected? Well, I guess they don't. So I'll ask that first. Yeah. So there's a section of trail that's not that far after Denver that goes through this area called Lost Creek Wilderness. Um, and there's like these big granite boulders and um it's actually had um a big wildfire went through there back in like two two thousand some 2001 Heyman fire it's called and so a lot of it's scorched earth but i just thought that was really stunning in kind of a weird surreal way like i wasn't expecting that section of trail to be as pretty as it was he also said that was his favorite by the way oh there you go. <laughs> oh, which segments are best as far as scenery slash challenging balance? Oh, for sure, like everything between Creed and Durango. So that's like section 21 through 28. Uh, or tw- Well, I'd say section 21 through 27 is like if that's all you could do, that would be what you should do. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's goes through the San Juans, you're in incredible terrain. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. All right. How much weight did you lose, Matt? I lost 20 pounds. That's it? We didn't have that much to lose from the beginning, I think. No, I think I I weighed 175 when I left my house and I got home and I weighed 155. Did you think you would lose that much? I thought I would lose about 15. So losing 20 was kind of surprising. Right. Yeah. Have you gained it back already? About half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Send in some candy bars, people. Just kidding. No, I'm good. <laughs> Ugh. Big candy well, that, bars. Months that's one of the other things I did to prepare for the trail is um, I, I quit drinking. So like two months before I left, I stopped drinking completely. Um, stopped really? Beer. Yeah. And so and then I had maybe like four beers total on trail like at town stops Mm -hmm. so you know not having that calorie intake was also huge right but you're back at it now aren't you a little bit (laughs) for anyone who doesn't know matt loves beer so this is a big sacrifice (laughs) it was yeah yeah all right how many hours i love this question how many hours did you sleep the night of your return did you just fall into your bed like i would have just fallen into bed with like all of my hordes of pillows (laughs) i'm trying to remember uh i mean i'm sure it was like 10 hours yeah it was a lot and then i didn't have anything for like the next three or four days so i tried to sleep in as much as i could for, for like three or four days 
And it's interesting. I found we found this out years ago. You can make up sleep. Like even if you've lost sleep over a year, you can actually make it up over time. So you were probably just doing that. Yeah, and I will say like I had a pretty good ritual, sleep ritual on trail. I mean, other than that one day, I was usually getting up a little bit before sunrise and going to bed around 9 or 10, you know, at the latest. So it wasn't like I was getting four hours of sleep every night or something like that. Right. That doesn't yeah, sound sustainable either. No, plus you're you're just pushing yourself so much physically that you need the sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's part of your food. Like, it's part of your refueling regimen. Oh, you know, sure. you have to sleep. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Okay, Beth Payne, is that your mom? It is. Okay. Hi, Beth. Hi, Mom. She asked, what would you have done differently? I kind of put this, we're chatting now in this post-hike reflection area and I put hers like Beth I put yours at the top because moms are the most important so what would you have done differently Matt I probably would have been a little bit less regimented with the amount of preparation I did around food and locations I think I would have liked to have more flexibility to buy food that was different than what I had been eating so just a little bit more flexibility around food and schedule, I think, would have been nice to have. I I spent a lot of time watching these uh, YouTube videos from this guy called Hi- Gear Skeptic. And he has these amazing spreadsheets and talks about, like, electrolyte balance and has these huge menus of food that you can, like, figure out. And I just used that to build my entire everything. So I had every meal was – every day was in a big gallon-sized Um, Ziploc bag and then within there was all the food for that day and every day had about 3,000 calories worth of food in it and a lot of the same kind of stuff and you know it just gets old having the same Mm -hmm. stuff all right I'm kind of a creature of habit so I might like the same thing but I think after x amount of time yeah it's like whatever here's the thing as long as it's not mountain house beef stroganoff I'm fine I will say this (laughs) <laughs> uh, one thing I did do that was kind of clutch, oh man, it was yeah. really awesome, is there's a hot sauce company called Melinda's, and they make okay hot sauces, but they sell these little like sample packs where you can get like eight different hot sauces in these little bottles to try. Oh, the little tiny, like tiny ones? Yeah, so like in every resupply box, I had a different bottle of hot sauce, so I could put that in my mac and cheese or, you know, burrito, bear burrito Whatever. So, like, that was a nice way to kind of mix things up a little bit. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. Good job. What's one thing you left at home that you wish you had stuffed into your pack? Honestly, the only thing that might have been interesting is to have, like, a telephoto lens. (laughs) Like, 200 millimeters is good, but I would have loved to have a little bit more reach. So, it would have been Did you not put it in cropped sensor mode? Yeah, you know, you you can crop, but... I I don't know. It would have been really cool to have just a little bit more reach, like a 100 or 400 or something like that. It's just so heavy. I know. And it takes up so much space too, you know? Yes. So other than that, like I didn't, I'm trying to think if there's anything I switched out or like ended up buying along the trail. Like, oh, I bought like little treats. I get grocery stores that were nice to have. You know, things to look forward to, like candy bars or caramels, things like that, to just, like, kind of 
get you excited. But other than that, I felt like everything I needed, I had. Y'all, that Sorry. was well prepared. <laughs> there you go. I feel like you've answered this, but did covering all that ground on foot change your perception of Colorado landscapes? Um, or did you just think, yeah, they're even more awesome than every... <laughs> I mean, I definitely had a few days where I was in some areas where it's not like your prototypical Colorado landscape. You know, there's no big mountains. There's no, you know, things like that. But there was still some beautiful scenes and, you know, more pastoral. And um, so I, just th- I think I just had a growing appreciation of th- things that weren't necessarily rooted in big mountains, you know, like some more simple scenes that were interesting to photograph that I liked. And I think that'll help round me out in other places that don't have the same type of terrain as well in the future, I think. But I think the other thing I realized, because, you know, I've been harping on it for so long about, you know, getting more and more into intimate landscapes and smaller scenes. I did have a reignited appreciation for big, like grand landscapes, like, because I saw so many of them and it made the realization that there's a lot of untapped potential still out there that photographers just have not even hardly touched the surface, it feels like. And I follow pretty much every Colorado landscape photographer I can think of. And I came across lots of stuff that I was like, man, look at that, <laughs> you know? So I think it kind of reignited an interest in me to, to go to some of those places with the intention of doing more grand landscapes. That's kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. I love that. Okay, Josh Cripps asked. So some, just everyone, some people, I like when I copied, their names got in here. Some didn't. Sorry if I don't mention everybody. But sometimes it's fun to know who asked the question. So yeah. uh, did your motivation to do photography change as you hiked the trail? I think like any other day when you're out with a camera, you're more or less motivated depending on your mood or depending on the types of scenes you come across. I mean, there was definitely days where I was very, very, very excited about photography. And there was other days where I was like, eh, not really that into it today. So yeah, it changed constantly, but I always found myself coming back to it, you know, like it was... It, There were so many interesting moments where I was like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, I had this one time I was climbing this mountain and I was photographing this scene in the distance at 200 mils and I hear this rustling and I look, I look out the corner of my eye through my camera and about 15 feet away, this fox is just running up the mountain towards me. I was like, what? So I photographed this fox in this giant landscape, you know, it was beautiful. Stuff like that, you know, it just... When that's kind of when those kind of things happen to you in nature, it's just oh, this is so fun. Now I remember why I'm doing this. This this is so special. So, yeah, yeah, it's invigorating. Yeah, and that invigoration stays with you. At least, yeah, it does. Yeah, because yeah. it's what is it? The photographer's high for sure. Oh, big time! Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I was wondering this, and someone asked it. Did you have moments of doubt that you'd be able to complete your journey? And if so, how did you get over those? Well, you asked an open, uh, closed-ended question, so I'm going to give you a closed-ended answer. And the answer oh, is, dang it. The answer is Come no. On. I really didn't. I, <laughs> I had a few days where I was like, oh, that was not great. But I was always 
excited for what the next days would hold. So staying focused on what was coming up for me just kind of kept me going. I wasn't never really worried that I couldn't finish. I did have I did have one, I forgot to mention this. Um, right when I started the Collegiate West, I had this weird dental thing happen where like my gums were bleeding a lot and I don't know what, like something got in my, my gums. Like It was the hot sauce mat. No, it was not. <laughs> something happened. I think it was a toothpaste I was using because I was using these oh, toothpaste maybe. tabs which you have to chew up. Oh, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. like the grit of those got in there and it inflamed my gums and then they were bleeding and it was painful and so like that was concerning i was like oh man is this like is this gonna get infected and but it just went away so i just maybe got lucky but that was the only moment where i was like hmm this could be bad i never got right but that wasn't blisters. like uh you didn't get any blisters no blisters like a tiny one on my pinky toe i was nothing yeah yeah i mean if you keep your feet dry you can prevent that too if you're prepared. I think a lot of this is like really pre, like having been pre-prepped with the training and all that stuff to you know, yeah, so that anything that comes up. Yeah, exactly. All right, what was the most unexpected thing you didn't prepare for? I think once again, just um, wanting to spend more time in towns would have been fun. I got lucky because I was able to get to a couple of the towns early, which meant I could do a zero day that I wasn't planning on doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that that was nice. So I would have I would have wanted a little bit more of town time. Like stay two nights or something? Yeah, or, or... like stay a night in Leadville, stay a night, you know, in towns I didn't mm-hmm. even go to, that kind of thing. I think right. um, if I wasn't doing all these extra credit side trips... I could have probably planned a little bit more of that kind of stuff in there, but yeah. <laughs> I still like the extra, the phrase extra credit. Well, that that became my trail name. So on through hikes, <laughs> you get a trail name, hopefully, like, and it has to be someone else names you. And I've, I've told uh, so many people about like, oh yeah, I did like five, four, I did five thirteeners yesterday. As you know, it's extra credit. And they're like, oh, that should be your trail name. I'm like, I like that. So that's what my trail name is, Extra Credit. I did not know that. Yeah, it works. Now I want to know what my trail name would be, but I have to do it to go get it. <laughs> right. Like, you kind of got to earn the name, like, either through something right. funny happening to you or, like, a personality trait that someone else notices. Mine would be, like, a snafu with the trail bidet or something. <laughs> there was a girl I met. Her name was Calamity. <laughs> And I met her on the side of the trail because her her water filter was completely clogged and useless. And I was like, oh, how'd you get your show name? And she's like, stuff like this happening to me all the time. I'm like, that makes sense. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah. Just don't call me hot mess. I'm over that. <laughs> all right. Scott Everly asked. I'm still, I still, I have a little bit of tears in my eyes. What was your most unexpected source of joy or awe during your time on the trail? And, oh, was there a time or moment that surprised you? Let's answer this. What was your most unexpected source of joy or awe? Love it. Unexpected. Or just any any time that you felt joy or awe that you were like, wow, this is amazing. Tell us about that. 
For sure, the wildlife encounters. I, don't, I haven't had a ton of wildlife encounters, believe it or not, in all my time of hiking. It just doesn't happen that often. So to have so many different wildlife encounters was really, it just made those days much more rememberable because especially like the moose and the fox and the mountain goats, like when that kind of stuff happens to you as a photographer, it's it's really special to see those animals in their native habitat doing their thing, you know? So that was probably the most unexpected source of awe for me, um, other than, you know, some of the smaller scenes and unexpected locations that I enjoyed photographing, things like that, but yeah. Yeah, I like joy in the small stuff too. Yeah. It's nice. I also love this question, and I'm sorry, I don't know who asked it, but um, this person says, I always find myself in a bit of a, fu- a post, uh, in a bit of a funk post travel, and uh, have trouble adjusting to getting back into my normal routine and responsibilities with family and day to day life, most especially solo travel. I find this too. Do you find this to be the case for you? And if so, how do you manage it? Like, how did you do it this time? Yeah, for sure. In fact, um, it's a pretty well-documented phenomenon for people who do thru-hikes to experience depression when they're done. Um, And in fact, or really any big thing that you do when it gets completed and you get your high from it, then when it's Mm -hmm. done. And a part of that's um, our dopamine regulation system in our brains. Like, Our dopamine systems want to be at neutral at all times. So whenever you're experiencing intense pleasure um, or elation and you have dopamine, your brain is like, okay, let's get back to baseline as fast as possible. And what happens when you experience something over and over and over again, like whether that be alcohol, food, like really good food, like ice cream or chocolate, or, and, you're, and you, you just keep eating and get more, you get more. What happens is your brain is countering it so severely that when you're done with it, you actually feel depressed or angry or anxious. And that's why I think so many more people are experiencing depression and anxiety right now is because we have such easy access to pleasurable things like think about like YouTube or watching streaming TV or you know just everything that we want that gives us joy and pleasure is so immediately accessible now it didn't Mm -hmm. used to be and the brain has this built-in thing there's a name for it I can't remember but it's basically like a seesaw and um and I definitely experienced that coming off the trail. I, and I, but I was kind of knew it was coming, um, so I intentionally just gave myself a lot of work to do afterwards. And so keeping myself really busy, giving myself things to look forward to was important. I also purposely tr- planned a trip with my my wife, like the weekend after we went to Telluride Blues and Brews Music Festival. So that was like a nice way to just kind of get back into things and spend some time with with her and, you know, kind of just have time to wind down from the trail. So I think intentionally giving yourself things to look forward to that keep you busy is probably the best advice I can give somebody. Yeah, I think it's important to know, uh, at least be cognizant that this could be a thing, right? And to even notice your own tendencies and how this works for you and to be able to you know, build in some post-travel countermeasures, you know, like I know when I get back from a trip, I need to give myself kind of a day to just get back into the swing of things. I don't want to have anything planned like big for the day after because I don't know, maybe I'm going to be super tired. Me, you know, right? I am in a little bit of a funk. So like, like I just did a, 
I don't know, six days or something of Colorado fall color. And I could have stayed out an extra day, which would have meant I came home this morning. But I knew that I needed like a day to just decompress and unpack and, you know. So, yeah, I totally agree. Like building in that extra kind of tarmac time to just get back into the swing of things is, is a great idea. If you can. Right. And I don't have to even have... I can do things. I just don't want to have things that I fully committed to on my schedule. So Uh, I I have it free. You know what I'm saying? I do. So mm. Peter, I forget how you say your last name. Peter Koskun. Did I say it right? Sure. I think it's Peter Koskun. I did. Koskun. Okay. Well, Peter, we love your work. But he says, in those 35 days, were there moments when you felt pressured to complete a stretch of trail and abandon the thought of doing photography or simply just soaking in a moment to yourself to enjoy finishing that stretch? So answer that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we've already talked a little bit about this, but That's there's true. definitely sections of trail that I knew I would have to blaze through in order to make my schedule the way I made that work is like, okay, when I get to that place, that's going to be cool because I'll have a bed and I'll have a restaurant I can go eat at and I can get ice cream and I can drink a beer and like that'll be a nice place to energize and take a shower, like looking forward to things that you can enjoy at those places. So that helped me not really care about photography. Like, But like I said, along those days, I, would, I still took photos. You know, It wasn't that hard to find something interesting to photograph along the way. So I think I think that answers the question. I think so too. I think we asked this. So some of them, as we're talking, they're getting answered. So right, I'm just right. pulling through here, right? So um, so there's a question about what were your expectations and were those met? I can't think we you didn't have a lot, you know, other than you you know well, like you had. We talked about the photography side of things. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, do you want me to ask it then? Let me ask it. Sure. Okay, hang on. What were your expectations going into this experience and were those expectations met? And mentally, how did this experience change you from start to finish? Ah. There you go. Okay. Well, I definitely had expectations that it was going to be physically challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, I had expectations that the experience itself would be transformative in a way, like, you know, just being able to say I did it, you know, like that having that accomplishment, that feather in the cap. I'm very achievement-driven as a person, so having something that big to focus my energy on was exciting because it's tangible. It's like when you're done, you're done, right? You finish, you finish, whereas like there's a lot of things in photography, it's hard to put that tangible accomplishment piece to it. And it's like, oh, I made a good photograph, but what else, right? So it was something to look forward to in that way. And then what was the second part? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How did it change you from start to finish? Oh, I don't think I've talked much about this yet, but I went into this whole experience with the goal of recording a video every single day, which I have mentioned, but the intention of the video is twofold. One was to kind of recap what I did that day, share my thoughts on the experience. And then the second was throughout that day, hopefully... I will have come away with something interesting from a philosophical perspective, a psychological perspective, something relating to relationships or life in general that would be something I could share and talk about on video. 
with the added goal of maybe all of that stuff that I come up with while hiking gets turned into a book of some kind. And so I do, I do have that goal still. I'd like to do that. I need to get pen to paper and write a few essays to see if there's any, see if it's any good yet. You know, any teeth to it. Mm-hmm. But I kind of got that idea while I was doing my podcast with Sean Tucker. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked mm-hmm. about you know getting his best ideas when he's by himself. And I thought to myself, man, I'm going to be by myself for 35 days. I hopefully could come up with some interesting stuff. So that's kind of how I got that idea. It was just by talking to Sean Tucker on my podcast. Shout out to Sean Tucker for the inspiration. So in that same vein, how has the experience influenced your perspective on your life now and your other goals? Well, one of my biggest takeaways, and, and I've found it really hard to change my behavior so far, but I'm like actively trying. So. Um, I, I want to be a little bit more intentional and appreciative of the people in my life. So like reaching out to friends more often, spending time with my wife and son more often, you know, planning things ahead with people instead of like, maybe we'll hang out someday. Like I want to get more intentional with my relationships and the quality of those relationships. So that's something that I definitely walked away from the experience thinking about yeah i i don't even think you're alone in that because i have a lot of those same kind of thoughts when yeah i'm just taking a three mile walk near my house you know right now do it for 35 days right (laughs) you're like wow i really miss all my friends right now (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) yes exactly um what was your most profound insight or was that it? Like, was that, you know, did you have any like big epiphanies, you know, or was that kind of the same thread? Yeah. I mean, kind of along those same lines, I definitely reinforced in me that we're so often focused on the wrong things in life. You know, we're focused on how much money am I going to make or, uh, I want to get that new car, you know, material things, possessions. And it really hit home for me, like, really the things that matter in life are how we feel about ourselves, what are our relationships, how, what the quality of our physical health, the quality of our mental health. You know, those are the things that we should be investing in and spending the time caring about. But it's so strange that it's just not. And it's for whatever reason, the modern life pulls us back into that um, way of thinking. And so I'm constantly having to remind myself, focus on this other stuff, not the stuff you said in 35 days of hiking that doesn't matter, you know? So it's, it's just funny that like I made those realizations, but having them stick is taking time. Like I need more neuroplasticity. Maybe I need to do some mushrooms or something. I don't know. (laughs) 35 days on mushrooms. I see the book. There you go. No, I don't know. Oh, gosh. Well, I do think it's important. I think there's so much about life that, we, that we're constantly, I mean, if we're doing this work, we're constantly working on how to improve our lives and how to have more balance and really make it all enjoyable. And it's not just all about photography or creative work, right? There's this right. whole other part that contributes to having a full life. So figuring out how to make all those parts fit together. For sure. Yeah. 
it sounds like you've changed a little bit. Do you miss the person you used to be before the trip started? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't think I've changed that much. Um, oh, come I just, on. <laughs> I just have a little bit, like 1% more wisdom or something. I don't know. Don't you miss those 20 pounds? <laughs> no, I definitely don't. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. This is a, I love this question. Okay. Lori Hibbett says time alone in the mountains is a humbling experience. We are all pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things. I'm sure you've witnessed that Matt and seeing, you know, huge mountains and big landscapes. And now that you're back to the comforts of home, is there anything new you want to incorporate into your daily life to keep you grounded and to try to bring a simplicity into your life at home? Like you had on the trail. Well, I would like to, um, you know, I'd love to maybe have a workout routine in the mornings. I have this whole plan now that I, I want to bulk up a little bit. My upper body just gets stronger. It's just, you know, coming home from 32 day, 35 days of being gone, like there was all of these demands on my time from all directions, you know, like podcasts, teaching workshops, my family, like, and so like, it's hard to carve that stuff out and I just have to commit to it and do it. But I've found that to be really difficult to, to make, I mean, I have barely exercised since I got home. It's funny. Like, I don't, I mean, I've done some hiking and stuff, but like nothing like what I was doing every single day. Right. Um, mostly cause I don't know that that's sustainable, but if, you know, having more of that time dedicated and set aside, um, I think it's going to become more and more important if I want to achieve my goals. And I think that's another thing that this experience hit home for me. If I don't have a goal, nothing, I don't do anything. Like I have to have something that drives the behavior change. Otherwise the behavior will stay the same. I'm kind of in the same, but I like to have a little bit of downtime in between. Like I don't want to go from one to the other, you know, yeah. like I think you're in that space right now. <laughs> I just have a little downtime, getting caught up, getting back into the groove. And not to mention, you've started something completely new. Like you're now a full-time photographer, instructor, you know. <laughs> and right. so, right? So you're back, you're doing all this, a little bit of new things. And so figuring out all that is a process too. For sure. Yep. All right. Here's a question that I got last night. Oh. Maybe I'll ask it and you can guess who it's from. Okay. Um, I know you're not particularly religious or spiritual, but maybe just not religious. I think we're all spiritual in a way, like, you know, sure. we all have to pay attention to what our soul is saying. So this is my opinion. While on the trail, did you feel any sort of a oneness with or the presence of some sort of higher power? No, I, I am. I'm, a, I'm an atheist. So, um, no, but, you know, definitely strengthen my appreciation for nature and how connected everything is and how we're connected to it and you know if you pull the thread on this one thing over here it's going to have an impact over there so definitely you can start you make a lot of those connections on trail where you start to see like oh there was a fire here how does that affect the other things that are growing here so there's a lot of stuff like that that happens um so but no nothing in terms of Maybe it's, your, 
it wasn't a, maybe a bigger connection with the oneness of nature. Like, oh, I yeah, like, I appreciate this even more now. For sure. I don't know. I'll go. I'll go with that. Okay. All right. So there you go. <laughs> uh, our friend Wayne Suggs asks, how do you look at the outside world differently now? He says, you spent 35 days in the re- real world. <laughs> like, think about this in Wayne, <laughs> from Wayne. You spent 35 days in the real world to step back into what we think of society. And how has that changed you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely... Uh, there's a huge contrast between what we find important day to day when really all that matters is our survival versus when you get home and you have all the comforts of home, you have easy access to food, you have easy access to water, you have a, you know, a roof over your head, all those things. It's interesting. In some ways, you would think that having all of those needs easily met would free you to have more time or energy to focus on creativity or to philosophize, whatever. But what I've found is it's actually the opposite. When I'm in nature and I'm focused on survival and, you know, where my next meal is coming from, all of those things that are happening in the outside world, you know, Israel, Ukraine, uh, climate change, um, all the things we're constantly worried about, I didn't think about that stuff at all. I was I was focused on everything else, like philosophy and like the meaning of life and how do I have a more purposeful existence and like that mm-hmm. was really interesting for me to to have that experience hit me that hard over the course of 35 days. Yeah, so a shift maybe now if you're looking at it now where you are maybe a shift even in your, like your priorities, like what is really important, you know, versus what just isn't. Right. And it's, I'm still in that space where it's hard to tease out what some of those things are because of all the noise that accompanies it, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, definitely. What day did you get back? September 9th. Okay. So it's been just a little over a month. Oh, wait, six weeks. Five weeks. I don't know. Something like that. that yeah, right. but I feel I still think an experience like this takes a little while to digest and process, especially like um you were saying how you might write you probably write something about it and I think that will help you synthesize yeah. um some of your thoughts together. I, I know it does for me. For so sure, for sure. We can't wait for that. All right, I love this question too. <laughs> Careful what you ask for. Oh, no, I'll read. Oh, you know, I'll read it. Okay. How do you think you will look back at this experience 35 years from now? So start with today and then look into the future. So 35 days experience 35 years later. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Hurry, hurry, hurry. How old are you now? 44. Okay. So 35. So you're 79. I think uh, I did yeah. that math right. So hopefully I'm so still you're 79. Alive. You know... I feel so lucky to have been able to do it, like have the time to do it, have the financial stability to do it, have the support of my family to do it, friends that helped support me along the way. I had several friends who helped me with resupplies and, you know, just checking in on me. And like, that was really nice to have that. Um, I had several friends hike with me along the way, which was really fun. Really, just a really fond hopefully just a really fond memory of 
something I got to experience and, you know, some pride in like being able to pull that off, not only in terms of just doing it, but also being able to put my, get myself into a, a situation where it could be, be possible to do it. So yeah, a lot of fondness and hum humbleness, humility, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I, probably, I love probably wishing said... my, probably wishing my legs were still in that good of shape. Right. Right. <laughs> you, that you can hike with seven miles with 1,500 feet in elevation gain. Oh, my gosh. Right. I think what you said is important about being proud of yourself and recognizing that I don't think this is a braggy thing. I think it's important to recognize, you know, that, you know, hey, I did this awesome thing and I got myself in shape and I did all the planning for it and I had this amazing experience and I'm I'm really proud of that and I feel like that's where you are and I, I love that about this moment because, you know, you could be like, oh, it was no big deal, but it is a big deal. Like, that's why we're talking about it on your podcast because it kind of is a big deal, you know? Yeah, it's so funny because like I had so many people like, oh my God, you're the man, you did that. I'm, you know, my initial reaction is like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but you're right. We, sh we definitely should spend more time savoring the things that we're proud of, especially things that took a lot of effort, you know, like mm -hmm. for sure. And I think we're especially hard on ourselves as creatives. We, we need to spend more time doing that. Oh, I 1,000% agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I have one last question and then we're going to go into some like advice for future hikers and then okay. all the questions. So we're going to go three hours, three hours then. Yeah. No, this won't take that long. We've, I know we've been talking for two. Uh, I had said, I can't, if we're less than two hours, that I would know. be a miracle. I know. So, um, when the book about this journey is, Oh, hang on. Blah. When the book about this journey is turned into a movie, so I guess you've written a book already about it, okay. <laughs> and it's turned into a movie, who plays your part? Wow. This is a serious question. <laughs> I've had some people say that I look like David Cross. He's the guy from Arrested Development. Maybe he, oh. he, he would probably need to lose a little weight, but... Maybe David Cross, because he's okay. kind of funny, and he's bald, and he, I don't know, he has a beard. So there you go. Okay, we buy it. All right, David Cross, pay attention. Book's coming. Book forthcoming. <laughs> Although, uh, by the time that happens, he'll be like 70 years old. So Ah, oh, dang it. We'll have to cryogenically face him. He could just tie his beard. Don't they make actors look younger? There you go. Yeah. Oh, there'll be some sort of younger actor that will... Right be up and coming will be like that one so all right what would be the number one thing you would uh that you would tell someone wanting to hike the colorado trail to be prepared for and by the way i'm listening very intently because i'm gonna do what is it five or six days i'm going with marie livingston and a small group to the drakensbergs in march yeah. so good that'll be fun so i'm paying attention to gear and things like that so, I mean, definitely, um, I would recommend going on several smaller trips first to get yourself um, accustomed to using your equipment, especially if it's equipment you've never used before, because um, you might find some things about it that don't work well or that you just need to be mindful of when you're using it. In the 
in the through hiking world that's called like a shakedown hike or whatever but it's really important to do that because you'll start to realize things that you need to like tweak um about your setup to make it more comfortable or lighter or whatever like maybe your backpack doesn't feel comfortable maybe you did in a different backpack whatever right so things like that are good definitely along those same lines of you know doing smaller trips it's really important to get to know what your physical and mental limitations are not only so that you can hopefully break through those and and move well beyond those limitations but also i can't tell you how many people i ran into like on day one where i was to 28 miles where they were like six miles in and that was their second day or third day like they were completely under prepared physically for this undertaking but part of that's because they you know they saw i don't know i'm just maybe this is, this is gonna sound mean but they saw a movie about someone who threw hiked and they thought it looked cool and they're gonna it's gonna be transformative and but they didn't actually realize it would be difficult so you know doing some physical training but also getting out and doing a really hard backpack to see what your limitations are i think would be helpful and important um highly recommend understanding your dietary needs and your water intake needs everyone is different if someone said you have to drink this much a day they're wrong every single person's body is different so that comes with experience and just doing it and getting out and doing it more and more and more so yeah do smaller trips and test things out not only physically mentally but also just the gear all right thanks i have tested a little bit out but i need to do something else maybe december um so if i'm an inexperienced backpacker this is a question (laughs) but i feel like it also applies to me um this is from someone else what would your advice be on how to work up to longer trips i think you've already kind of explained that like go test it out but like how do you like how do you go from like an overnight to maybe doing you know, six or seven nights or five to seven nights and then maybe even longer? Or if can you do five to seven nights and then just translate that into the longer trip? I mean, a good way to do it is go somewhere that's maybe three or four miles that has other interesting locations that are two to three miles away from that. And then give yourself like four or five days and you can set up a base camp, maybe do side trips. You know, you don't have to be constantly changing campsites um, that gives you more perspective in terms of getting used to sleeping there and using that equipment without having to pack it up every single night um, so I just smaller trips with less fewer consequences attached I think is a great way to get started um, and then do something that's closer to the road that you know if things don't work out it's not hard to get home things like that so I recommend that all right I got the perfect place yeah, I got places like that all over Colorado that I that I go to all the time, like especially if it's early season and I'm trying to get my legs back, you know, like, okay, I got to get back into shape here. Like, let's just do like a little mm-hmm. two-night thing. I don't something. have a lot of those places, but there is a Lost Maple State Park, which has some really beautiful special maples in, in Texas, which is crazy for awesome. fall. I don't think I'm going to make it there quickly for fall because I'm going other places, but... Um, I can take the kind of the long way, like a up, and then there's so there's some elevation. You go to a high point, and then you come down, and I can I can um, and I can backpack into it 
and um, on the other direction coming out, it's like two miles to the parking lot. So I can right. pretend like I'm far away. <laughs> so so yeah, it's I something like that. I so. can't remember where I heard this, but it was in regards to like personal training. And I think it's the best advice, especially as it relates to hiking and things like that. But the best thing you can do to prepare to backpack is to backpack. Like just get out and do it. Do it in smaller increments until it feels really comfortable and then build yourself up over time. Okay. I think it's kind of irresponsible to just go out and do a 25-day hike without having done it before. They're like, that just seems... You could get lucky, but, man, that seems like there's a lot can go wrong in that situation. Yeah, I, I fully agree, because you don't know. You just don't know what you don't know yet. That's the problem. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> two more questions. Are you ready? They're I'm ready. Easy. Throwing you some some uh, quickies. Other than running short on food resulting in cannibalism, are there any other cases where your plans didn't work out? <laughs> I just wanted to ask that. <laughs> um, I feel like none of all your plans, everything kind of worked out. I mean, any lessons learned, you know, like you didn't, did you ever run short on food? No, I always had too much food. <laughs> always. Which is really people are like, well, how did you lose weight? Well, it's because you, can only eat so much food and the reason why I had extra food is because I had usually had about an extra day or two of food in case uh, I had bad weather or in case I was feeling bad and couldn't hike as long um, mm. but I always had extra food which sucked because you know you're at the end of your you're getting a resupply and you still have two days of food so but it I you'd rather have too much food than not enough yeah it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting balance, I think, to have, you know, you don't want too much, right? But you don't want to carry, you don't want to carry it either. Yeah, it so. sucks. Like my first resupply in Breckenridge, I don't know why I did it this way. It was just because where the mountains are situated. But my very first extra credit project was I wanted to climb these mountains that are right off trail called Peak 7, Peak 6, Peak 7, Peak 8. And they're all in a line, but it's off trail. And then you have to down climb the last mountain to get back to the trail further up and I had seven days of food on my back when I did all three of those it was really hard <laughs> like, yeah I mean, it was just so heavy I just <laughs> don't recommend that <laughs> Matt you're like a glutton for punishment I think sometimes <laughs> yeah it was rough Ugh. well um one last thing. I'll be interested to know how many total extra... I mean, I know you said you did 30 peaks, but I feel like you did more like extra, extra credit projects, you know? So I'll be curious to figure out, like, if you figured out how many extra credit projects you did. <laughs> well, part of that trail name comes from the fact that I was literally the only other person I saw on the entire trail that had a camera and tripod recording videos you know like most people are like you have a camera <laughs> you know like are you stupid <laughs> you know so that's i mean just having the extra weight on such a big trip is extra credit alone there you, know? you go but yeah i didn't really extra i mean other than the mountain climbs i didn't do i mean i did some side things but it was like to climb mountains or to yeah but it wasn't it was always to climb mountains always or exactly. uh, not always or to get to a really cool <laughs> photography spot as we do 
Yeah. Matt, would you do it again? I would probably, only if it was like something my son wanted to do or a really close friend. Um, but just on my own, I don't think I would be like, I'm going to go do that again. I would do another trail again. I would, or a different trail. I would, you know, maybe do part of the John Muir Trail in California or maybe do the Long Trail, which is the whole state of Vermont. That, that looks kind of interesting. Um, or like the Arizona Trail, stuff like that. But I don't think I would repeat the whole Colorado Trail. I already did it. You did it. And you I'm achievement-based, man. I, I like, I'll do something new. Time to, time to do something new. Yeah. Take, a, take a break first, though. Yeah. That's it. This has been really fun. I really I enjoyed hearing all about even the prep, even the even the trail bidet. Um, <laughs> I just enjoyed you, hearing. Awesome. It. I know I'm gonna look it up now, but I you I really pra- enjoyed hearing practice all in your what? you can you can practice in the shower. Okay, I will. No visualizations allowed right now. <laughs> Hey, man, it's like that book my son had when he was a kid. Everybody poops. Hey, I have a thing that this is maybe TMI for some of y'all, but I have a little thing that allows me to stand up to pee and it's pretty discreet. And so I bought it because when I'm out in the desert, if I'm hiking, you know, and, you know, it's just easier. You know what I mean? If I can be out in the middle of a playa in Death Valley and pee and no one even knows it's happening. So, um yeah, anyway, cheers to amazing inventions by people who, you know, know that this is, <laughs> there, there needs to be solutions. So, yeah. well, so <laughs> and Bri, I tell all my friends about it. <laughs> so Brie, I'm super thankful that you could host this podcast and switch, we could switch roles once here. One of the reasons why I thought you would be a great person to do this is because you've also got your own podcast now. You've actually got two podcasts. I but do. You're, but you're doing this new one that you're doing that it's more interview-based. And maybe you can take a minute here to, to tell everyone about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, this one was kind of an interview, but also I liked hearing the stories. And I just feel like, it, especially in our world where, you know, there's been all the talk about gear. It's all, you know, there's a lot of technology out there. And we just want to hear the stories now. And that's how I'm feeling is I just, I want to hear the stories and I want to hear what happens when we, when the camera is, maybe we're photographing, um, but just beyond the photograph, right? And so um, the podcast is called Wild Women in Photography. And truly it's about women who are having um, amazing experiences and uh, behind the lens, and then they come on and they tell their stories. And so uh, we we've had um, I just I just um, chatted with Aaron Bobnick the other day. Um, I recorded with Taylor Stone. Hers comes out tomorrow. This oh, will cool. come out later. So you, by the time this the, by the time this podcast goes out, you'll be able to go listen to that. Um, just uh, Shanda Aiken, a Colorado photographer. So th- and all of these women have so many interesting stories that we don't even know about and. That's what that's what I want to bring to everybody, and also, um, it's just it's it's women in photography, and I think this is a, a space where we can now really like shine and show what we're doing, and that's really fun for me. So, I so this that. has been like 
a really amazing project and I'm really enjoying the project. And um, I don't know, I just thought of it one day. And so just like you, that's whatever it takes, started. it's happening. I was like, let's go, let's do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, can I, how, why did my brain think this up? Can I even do a second podcast? <laughs> and so, um, but I have a really amazing uh, small group of women that, um, that I have a little texting group with these women, and I said, "Hey, I thought of a, uh, I thought of a new thing, and it's crazy." And they're like, "Tell us all about it." And when I said, they were like, "You have to do this. We need this. The world needs this." And so I've gotten a lot of encouragement from them and, and a lot of people that I've talked to. So Good. anyway, um, it's been fun. So yeah, thanks for letting me tell about it. Yeah, of course. And a podcast that you know you don't have commercial motives. You know, it's just like. I think this will be fun if it's a passion project. I think all of that commercial success will follow if if you do it from the heart. So I'm happy to hear you doing it. So keep up the good work. Thanks. It's been really fun to support women and their creativity and, you know, anything they have going on. So it's fun. Awesome. And this was fun. Yeah, it was <laughs> fun. Yeah, we had some good questions and I was exp- I was. I'm glad none of the the, uh, surprise questions were too salacious. No, they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that's it. I guess that's it. My my hosting hosting, uh, time is over. So I will hand the the baton back to you for all the regular shows. (laughs) I will say I do have a goal to do like a blog about gear and... You know, that kind of thing. I, I actually recorded a bunch of videos about the gear I was using. I'm hopefully going to get that out there in the world someday. Uh, I don't know when, but yeah, I've got a lot of things on my plate right now, but hopefully I'll get that out there soon. You will. And like, you know, gear, we always say gear isn't necessarily important, but I think you kind of told us from this conversation that the being prepared with the gear is actually what allowed you to have such a comfortable time and um, be able to like be relaxed and really enjoy your and enjoy your experience, you know? So, although I will um, say this, so the the girl I hiked with, um, she had kind of an older backpack, some older gear that wasn't super lightweight. And I've, when I first saw her, I was like, Oh man, she's, that looks heavy. And I was like, Oh, how much is your pack weigh? And she's like, it's about 45 pounds. And I was like, Wow. I'm like, you're at least uh, five pounds heavier. And she's like, I know, I probably could shave about five pounds off. But then I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, yeah, you're just five pounds stronger. So I like that attitude too, you know. And she finished. There you go. And she's stronger than me, I tell you that. Man, she was, <laughs> she was a badass. There you go. So, Another woman doing amazing things. There you go. I'm all about it. <laughs> all right, Brie. All right, well, Matt. thanks again. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. It was really fun. Well, thank you to Bree for being such an awesome host this week. I can't thank you enough. I highly encourage y'all to check out her two podcasts, A Creative Affair and Wild Women in Photography. I'm really excited to see where Bree takes her shows. Also, Bree mentioned on the show that I created an awesome spreadsheet and tool to help me organize all of my photography gear for backpacking. If you'd like a copy of this spreadsheet to play with for yourself, check out the link in the show notes. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in. 
collaborating with us and listening. See you next week.